In the words of poet and scholar Gloria Anzaldúa, to survive the borderlands, you must live sin fronteras. Be a crossroads. To live within a borderland, without borders, sin fronteras, may sound like a contradiction, but many families, by their own choice or that of their governments, find themselves living in this space between El Paso and Ciudad Juárez. El Paso and Ciudad Juárez are known as sister cities. However, the border challenges that sisterhood. People relocate, the river flows and recedes, the border shifts, yet through each transformation, the two cities stay bonded by blood in the Rio Grande. Love is the lifeline that sustains this relationship. And loving across borders is an act of resistance. This is America the Borderland, a Moral Courage Project. I'm Myra Baeza. To better understand this dynamic, we talked to historian Yolanda Leva. She's a professor at the University of Texas at El Paso, who has dedicated her career to collecting the oral history of La Frontera. And so I was asking myself that question driving here, like, why have I done this since I was 19 and now I'm 62? And why is it so important to me that I, I prioritize this so much? I think it had to do with my birth story, my being born in Juarez and having my twin, our mother being so poor she couldn't keep us, and then giving my sister Lisa to our grandmother and giving me to our great aunt so that Elisa was in Juarez. I was here from the moment we left the hospital. Elisa not having medical care, not even having proper water to mix formula with, which is why she ended up dying so young. Me having medical care, me having survived, it wasn't because of anything that she did or I did. You know, it's just the inequity between the two cities and and the injustice of how she had to live because of poverty, and I didn't. I mean, it's hard to believe that things could only be getting worse. This is Linda Rivas. She's an immigration attorney and the executive director of Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center. This nonprofit provides representation and defense to immigrants, including refugees, asylum seekers, victims of crime, and families seeking reunification. Family separation, as, as you all may be familiar, was something that started in El Paso, and we've been dealing with it, and we're still dealing with it on the national level, and what we saw was it gained attention when it became an official policy. But even with the court order, family separation is still exists in some way or another. Um, as you know, when you mention raids, it exists in deporting families and separating families in that way. Uh, my husband calls me and he tells me, you know what, I was stopped by the sheriff and he took away my, my keys, car keys, and I think he's calling Border Patrol. So I asked him, where are you right now? Tell me the location. And he did. As soon as I arrived, Border Patrol arrives. And it's worth mentioning that I, was, I wasn't documented as well. But I already knew my rights. And that gave me some sort of uh, confidence that I was going to be okay. 
And all I wanted to do was... Gabriela Castaneda is the communications director at the Border Network for Human Rights, a nonprofit group based in El Paso, Texas, that advocates for immigration reform and human rights. She's a mother of three children and has fought to stay in the United States despite her husband's deportation. When we met, she told us about the point-based immigration system where every illegal reentry into the country adds criminal history points to your record. The more points you get, the harsher the sentence and the harder it becomes to gain legal status. So my husband went to see uh, a judge and the judge gave my husband 70 months in prison. That's about close to six years. I had my three children and they were very, very little, like in a ladder. I don't remember their ages, but they were little. And they would ask me every single day, mom, where is my dad? I'm sorry, I've, I've told this story so many times. And it seems like I'm gonna be okay the next time that I tell the story and it always happens. Being a mother um, puts me in a particular situation to where you know, sometimes I fight a little harder because you know I know I know what it feels like to be pregnant and vulnerable, and so I can relate um, to clients in ways uh, that I think make me uh, a good advocate. There is a time where I have to take this hat off and and care for my children and put them first. Um, so I used to tell them. He's in California, he went over there because he's, he wants to work so that he can buy you guys all the toys that you always wanted. And that story was okay with them for a few days. They kept asking, where is my dad, where is my dad? And I kept continuing lying. And I was like, he was here in the night, but you were sleeping, he kissed you in the forehead. Well, I couldn't keep that lie forever. And the reason I did not want to tell my children that their dad was in jail it's because when I was being uh, raised up by my mom, she would always tell me that prison is for people that committed really bad crimes. They raped someone, they, they killed someone. So in my mind, telling my children that their dad was in prison was going to somehow mess up their mind. Gabriella's son has a rare chronic condition that requires them to travel to a specialist for open heart surgery. Because Border Patrol has checkpoints 100 miles from the border, she cannot leave El Paso. Every time that he gets a surgery, we need to travel to Dallas. That's where he gets his surgeries. Undocumented, I wasn't going to be able to do that, and his health was going to be at risk. I talked to my immigration attorney, and I said, what do I do? And he said, well, there's one option. You need to turn over to immigration authorities. So one morning, I picked the documents that I thought they were going to need, the medical records from my son, my, my documents from the DACA papers that I submitted, and I went to to the station on Montana and Hawkins, and I just walked towards one of them, and I said, I'm, I'm a domicile alien. I'm undocumented in the country, and I'm, I'm here to turn myself in. After she turned herself in, immigration authorities tried to detain her. But Gabriela fought to be released so her children wouldn't be left without any parents. Now Gabriela's in the hearing process as the courts decide whether or not to give her a visa. I would give my life so that he could have a normal life. That's the reason I'm here, and that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, going to the communities and teaching people about the rights they have so that no one else has to go through what I went, through what my children went. I've been a single mother my whole life, not by choice. I love my husband so much. 
Since I met him back in high school over there in, in Juarez, I always wanted and it was in my mind, I'm going to live with him until we grow old, until we see your kids marry and have their own children. And that continues to be my thought. But the border immigration policies separate families, they destroy families. Familial bonds at the border are not limited to blood relationships. When biological families are not allowed to be whole, new families are forged. The Juarez Bunker is one place where we found a family created in response to separation. Francisco Lopez is a United States veteran who served in the Vietnam War after being drafted in 1967. Upon returning from war, he started his family in America, but struggled with PTSD. In the 1990s, he was convicted of a crime, served time in federal prison, and was then deported to Mexico. I feel like I've been betrayed by the United States government. I was drafted and uh, serving in the United States Army. My expectation was to be American citizen. When I got drafted, I didn't think twice about going to Vietnam, you know. I said, I'm going to try to help this country because they adapted, adapted me as an immigrant. After Francisco was exiled, he spent years in Juarez thinking he was the only deported veteran. But then he found Hector Barajas, another veteran who started the Deported Veterans Support House in Tijuana. And, and Hector told me, well, we can open up a house over there, a bunker, I mean, over there in Juarez. I said, I, I'd like to do that. I, I already got a house, and uh, I offer it as a, as a bunker. So he agreed, and we opened it up last year. And, and ever since, we've been doing real good. We have won uh, six asylum cases um, for 2018. And this was a, a mother. Um, she's this Mexican mother, victim of domestic violence. And we won her case on Mexican Mother's Day. And unfortunately, the government appealed because it was a case won on domestic violence and uh, Attorney General Sessions' decision that was going to revoke asylum protections for victims of domestic violence. They knew that was coming, and so they appealed the case before that. And it's still an appeal, unfortunately. It's still in limbo. Um, and the Sessions case essentially uh, undid years of precedent protecting victims of domestic violence. Um, making the cases much harder to win. Not impossible, but much, much harder. Um, it was a revocation of, of protection. Uh, I guess the it's only way we can go back is uh, for President Donald Trump to give us a pardon. But uh, I don't think he's going to do it. You know? I'd like to uh, ask the presidents of the United States to call the congressmen or senators and tell them about us that we are fighting to go back. We are fighting to, for them to give us our rights. We made a mistake, and, and, and we pay for it, and we still pay for it, I guess for life. Right now, our current U.S. immigration policy means that, as a felon, Francisco has lost his right to live on American soil, but as a veteran, he retains his right to be buried there. I think anger definitely has its place, and I have seen many generations of young people being angry over many justifiable things. But anger 
to me, anger doesn't sustain a person or sustain change. I think hope sustains change. This is America the Borderland, a moral courage project. In our next episode, back on the U.S. side of the border, we sit down with Monsignor Banuelas, a faith leader in the community who explains the radical act of solidarity. The saying says, Tu eres mi otro yo. You are my other self. If I harm you, I harm myself. And I think that's very important today in a society that accepted divisions as normal. I'm Myra Baeza. This episode was written by Tanya Bow and engineered by Tom Amrine, with music by the Chamanas and special thanks to Manuel Calderon. Our producer is Joel Proust, and our associate producer is Rachel Carr. Find us across social media platforms and online at americatheborderland.org. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a review. Be sure to catch our next episode this Friday.